Welcome everyone to Vetfolio Voice. Today's episode, sponsored by Hills, features Dr. Yuki Okada here to discuss the importance of maintaining a healthy body weight for our pets. Of course, we know the importance of keeping our pets at a healthy weight, but sometimes it can be hard to keep up the motivation to have that conversation for the umpteenth time that day. We'll stay strong, my friends, and keep making those recommendations. I'll try not to give too much away, but a recent study examining the connection between a healthy body weight and longevity is incredibly eye-opening and really emphasizes the importance of keeping our pets at that healthy body weight. And Dr. Okada does a great job of addressing some of the challenges that come up when counseling owners about diet and body condition score. Dr. Yuki Okada was born in Japan and raised in San Francisco. Dr. Okada completed her BA at UC Berkeley and her DBM at Michigan State University. After practicing both Eastern and Western medicine for a decade, she became interested in nutrition and research and returned to her home country to obtain her PhD in veterinary biochemistry from Nippon Veterinary and Life Science University in Tokyo while holding a faculty position as an assistant professor. When she's not seeing patients, she's completing a nutrition residency at Veterinary Nutrition Specialty Service, which is one of the seven ACVIM Nutrition-approved residency programs in North America. She's published in peer-reviewed scientific journals and textbooks, including the latest co-authorship of a textbook chapter, Nutrition for the Hospitalized Patient and the Importance of Nutritional Assessment in Critical Care in Advances in Small Animal Care. Dr. Okada also lectures for veterinarians in the U.S. and Japan and loves to travel. She has one rescue senior cat who actually made an appearance on camera during our talk and I can confirm is in perfect body condition and one rescue senior dog. If you enjoy this episode, you can find more CE from Dr. Okada and others on the Hills website, hillsnorthamerica.com. Let's go ahead and get into our episode. All right, well, for this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Yuki Okada, and we're going to talk about overweight cats, and I love doing these nutritional talks. I feel like I take so much away from these these episodes, so Dr. Okada, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Dr. Cassie. I am very happy to be here. This is the topic that I'm most passionate about. I'm very passionate about keeping my patients and everybody, all the pets in the world, uh, lean and healthy. So I'm very, very excited to be here. Wonderful. Yes. And you are, congratulations on being on your, in your fourth year, finishing up your residency. That's really exciting. I'm excited. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and get into our talk here. What are some of the health risks associated with obesity? You know, we know that obesity is a problem in our pets, but what are some of the specific risks that we should make sure we're aware of? So, you know, we always, everybody knows about risks of obesity causing diabetes in cats. And, you know, that's pretty well known. There are also, you know, diseases that can be caused by having that excess weight or, you know, the symptoms that can be worsened by having that excess weight. So the main thing, you know, most important thing is osteoarthritis. So you have those dogs or cats that are already in pain and adding that extra weight to those joints, of of course, is not a good idea. There's also dermatological diseases that can be caused by skin folds. So extra tissue that can be, you know, trapping the bacteria or infection and causing 
causing inflammation there. There's also respiratory disease and heart disease. So those patients that are having hard time breathing, you add that extra tissue and weight on top of the underlying diseases, then you're seeing, you know, the symptoms worsen by being overweight. And there's also, you know, a lot of people don't know about this, but, you know, we know that there is decreased lifespan. That's been proven, especially in dogs. There's a great study done by Keeley that showed that there were 24 pairs of litter mates that are matched for sex and weight. And the, the group that were fed 25% less than the control group and maintained that lean or ideal body condition lived actually 1.8 years longer. So that is substantial, you know, in dogs that can only live for 14, 16 years. That's almost 20% of the lifespan that we can prolong. Wow, that really paints a picture. 1.8 years. I mean, who wouldn't want their pet for an extra 1.8 years, an extra two years, 20% of their life? I mean, that's huge. Yeah, that's really, you know, that's a convincing sort of statement for a lot of owners that can be skeptical about, you know, you trying to push weight management in those cats and dogs. And if you say that magic word, yeah, we can, you know, prolong the lifespan. And, you know, a lot of, of my clients are like, we're, we're convinced I want my pets to live as long as possible. Absolutely. And I noticed when we were talking about some of these health risks, you mentioned a lot of a lot of itises, a lot of inflammatory processes, um, arthritis, dermatitis. We know that diabetes is very inflammatory. Can you talk about the relationship between obesity and inflammation? Until recently, fat cells were considered or fat tissues were considered to be just the storage organs storing the fuels and energy when needed. But now we know more about fat cells and fat tissues that you know, we know we consider them as more endocrine organ that, fun that can affect the functions of other organs through secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokines or other cytokines called adipokines. So, you know, cytokines secreted by adipose cells. We know that enlarged, engorged cells, fatty cells, can secrete pro-inflammatory cytokines and, you know, harmful cytokines that can affect the brain and the liver. And also by doing so, increase the appetite, cause insulin resistance, sort of affect the energy metabolism in liver, causing hyperlipidemia and hyperglycemia. That's a little bit scary to think about. Like you said, fat as a as kind of this pro-inflammatory endocrine organ, if I'm understanding you correctly, mm -hmm. it kind of brings into perspective. I, I feel like I've had like a big focus on healthy eating for myself recently. And honestly, it has drastically affected the way that I feel. And I can only imagine that's got to be related to inflammation. Yeah, it's scary to think that, you know, you have extra adipose tissues and those engorged adipose cells, and you're actually causing chronic low-grade inflammation by do having those excess fat cells. And I can't fight it off anymore like I could when I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we touched on arthritis earlier, and of course, we think about obesity and orthopedic disease, the extra weight on the joints. I also know more recently, we've looked at changing our spay-neuter recommendations due to orthopedic disease. In our initial conversation, kind of before we, we turned on the microphones, you mentioned all of this might be interrelated with our spay-neuter recommendations and obesity and orthopedic disease. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of these 
every time these new recommendations come out, I try to go to the paper, uh, scientific journals, to kind of look at the validity of the, the study or the message that's delivered by these studies. And there are some good ones, but a lot of those papers don't talk about the body condition score of the of the patients between the control versus the test group so that's something that that would be interesting to see i just hope you know all these future papers will have compared the comparison of body condition scores but i because we know for sure they the extra weight on those developing joints especially during the, the puppyhood or kittenhood those are affect and cause developmental orthopedic disease so i i would love to see uh, more studies that are comparing the body condition scores between these groups so am i understanding you that we're looking at the impact on orthopedic disease with spay neuter from more of a hormonal standpoint right but because we know that in spayed and neutered pets they do hold on to adipose more and it is a little bit harder to control their weight that maybe there's an element there with spaying and neutering and orthopedic disease in addition to the hormonal influence. I, I do think so. We know for sure there are good studies out there indicating that there's decreased metabolic rate in spayed or sterilized patients. That's sort of, we know about that. And also um, aging can cause decreased metabolic rate. And also there's a study looking at cats being spayed. And so within a few days of being sterilized, these cats have increased food intake for sure. So there's that com combination of, yeah, you need to rest these patients well after the surgery for the healing, and then there's increased intake of the food. So, you know, those patients are at risk of gaining more weight. Sure. It's one of those things where, I mean, to gain weight more easily and then have an increased appetite, those poor, <laughs> poor critters, I feel bad for them, but, you know, yeah. having treated my fair share of pyometras, I would all for the spay and neuter. Right, right, right. So, you know, I do have, I, I do practice as a GP, uh, general practitioner as well, full time. And, you know, my clients always ask when, what's the right thing to do, you know, and I would say whatever you choose, the right thing to do for is for you to keep this patient at an ideal weight. I love that. I love yeah. that. How, wherever you choose, because none of us, I was, I was really hoping that was going to be the key there, Dr. Okada. I thought you were going to say the right answer is you spay at this age, but <laughs> it sounds like the jury's still out. Right, right. So, you know, of course, we're here to talk about overweight cats. What are some of the general dietary recommendations that you discuss with cat owners? So overweight cats, you know, if we starve an overweight cat, we're going to have a weight loss. That's just simple, right? But having an effective weight loss and having the appropriate weight loss rate and while making sure the client and the, the pet are happy, that can be very, very challenging. Sure, because having an overweight cat who I would assume is, is also sterilized, they're going to have this increased appetite and starving them in addition to just, you know, kind of being mean. I don't, don't want anybody to severely restrict my calories can create its own set of problems. Right, right. So begging is the most sort of common challenge and the most difficult one to fight this overweightedness. It really decreases that compliance by clients because all of a sudden clients are being woken up you know, three in the morning, this cat's crying, yowling, biting to, you know, in order to be fed. So there, this is the biggest challenge that we face. 
Sure. What do you tell owners when they say, I've tried, I can't get my cat to lose weight because they're standing on my head at three o'clock in the morning every day. And if I lock them out of the bedroom, they just stand outside the door and scream all night. Do you, do you have any kind of good tips for them where you say, okay, that's, that's reasonable to not be able to deal with that, but here's some alternatives you can. Yeah. So the strategies that we, I use, or we, a lot of nutritionists used is to increase the fiber in the diet moisture in the diet. So these are, you know, something that can help to distend the stomach. So increase the satiety, right? Another thing is, you know, feeding more frequently in small amounts, and especially at night so that the cat's not waking up the client. Sure. And of course, it's it's much easier if they never get overweight in the first place and you don't have right. to go down this weight loss road as, yeah. as so many of us do with our pets, veterinarians mm-hmm. included. <laughs> I know we all deal with this. So what do you talk to people about in kittens when they first bring you a, a brand new kitten and say, you know, how do I, how do I keep them at a healthy weight? Right. So I do at an initial exam, I, I pull out my body conditional score sheet and teach my client how to assess his or her pet's body condition. It's because it is so much easier to prevent the overweightedness than treat it. Like, like you're saying. So that's what I do initially. And I, I do teach all my technicians how to assess the body conditions. I'm seeing a trend of everybody underestimating the body condition score. So the, the perception of ideal weight has shifted tremendously, I feel like. So, you know, I do have a lot of clients that come to me and say, you know, my vet never told me my my dog is overweight or my cat's overweight. And I felt like that when I first started my residency. I have 17 years of experience as a GP and I'm going into the residency, my mentor quickly, quickly corrected me on my assessment of body condition score. I have to say that does make me feel a little bit better because I I promise you I am guilty of underestimating body condition score mm-hmm. and to be talking to somebody who's so passionate and know that you know you had to shift your your viewpoint of what an ideal body condition score was too that gives me hope that I can yeah I can get yeah. my thinking in the right plane mm-hmm. and then in doing so you know in assessing body condition score teaching my technicians how to do this. I find out that during like a common day, more than 50% of my patients are actually overweight. Sure. And that's, that's just, you know, it's more than what the other studies have shown, you know, it's, usually it's like 20, 30, 40%. So 50%, more than 50% is, is a lot. And, you know, maybe it's because I'm in San Francisco, maybe those could be a regional thing. I'm not sure, but, but it is, it is true fact. I would say I'm probably in the same boat. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So let's kind of transitioning back to cats here. Many of our cat, our feline patients, they, they kind of lay around. They're pretty lazy. Maybe they get up and run around at night or they have small bursts of energy, but not a ton of activity throughout the day. Do you talk to owners about exercise or increasing activity at all? Not really, not really, because a lot of owners want to believe it's the lack of exercise that's causing their cats to be overweight. And it's really not because cats and 
just animals in general are very, very good at conserving energy because every time they hunt and they're spending so much energy that, you know, whatever they're eating is not matching the energy requirement, that that doesn't make sense, right? So it's really the exercise, not the main way that, that I try to do the weight management. There's a study done by um, Dr. Richard Hill. He's an expert in greyhound nutrition. And it really showed, those studies have shown that those dogs don't really spend more energy than your normal house dogs that gets, you know, twice a day walking and some dog park activity. So like you can see, you know, that those dogs that are running so fast, they're not even spending a lot of energy. So for the clients, normal clients to make the cats or dogs to really run around to lose the weight, it's it's really going to be impossible to do that. So tell me a little bit more about weight loss diets, especially talking about cats. They can be kind of finicky and it can be tough to find the right diet for them. What are we looking for in a diet to say, okay, this is appropriate for weight loss? So I guess number one thing is that diets should be palatable, right? For finicky cats. A lot of times what happens is they're being finicky because they could be holding out for something better. So there's a lot of treating treats involved, high reward, some kind of food involved. So we, you know, it's a good idea to do a good diet history, um, you know, taking a good diet history from the owners, making sure these cats are not getting any, what we call empty calories from treats. And other things, you know, I look for in a weight management diet is that, that it, how we talked about, it's higher in fiber to distend that stomach, to give that satiety. Moisture can be, you know, canned food already has pretty high Moisture content, about 78 to 80% would be from the moisture. So that would be good. I sometimes add extra water on top of that. And also for dry food, I try to add that water. But cats, unfortunately, they develop texture preference pretty quickly. So it really have to, you know, depend on what the texture preference of the cat. Of course, you don't want to give dry food or wet food to somebody who only eats dry food or canned food and starve the cat and cause hepatic lipidosis there. They, they would lose weight, but it would come <laughs> right. fast. Yeah, yeah. So, and then the other thing is, you know, I do look for, when I formulate homemade diets, I do try to make sure that there are extra nutrients, essential nutrients, because when you start restricting those calories, you are actually reducing the essential nutrient intake as well. So when I make homemade diets, I will make sure there's extra like 200% of the requirements or whatever caloric restriction, what I'm doing based on that. I will adjust the um, essential nutrient concentration to make sure that there's no nutrition deficiencies. A lot of the weight management diets out there have extra nutrients to make sure that there's no nutrition deficiency by caloric reduction. Okay, interesting. And then what if you get these clients who say, you know, I hear all of your options here and I'm just not interested. I don't want to change the food. I'm happy with where, where I am. What can I do with the food my pet's currently on? First of all, you know, recommend stopping all the treats because those are empty calories that can dilute the essential nutrients provided by the, the complete and balanced diet. So that's the first thing I do. And then I will ask the owner to reduce the feeding amount by 15 to 20% max, just because if we did more than that, then like I said, there's not going to be enough essential nutrients to account for the caloric reduction. Most diets out there, even the maintenance diets, have about 120% extra of the, the requirements set by the AFCO or NRC. So I feel pretty safe recommending about 20% feeding reduction. 
And is that specifically in cats or does that go for dogs too? Dogs as well. Okay. All right. Yeah. In cats though, you know, with the 20% caloric restriction, the weight loss rate's going to be slower. So it's going to take more time to lose that weight, but that's okay. And I do want that weight loss rate to be as slow as possible. So about 0.5% of body weight per week of a weight loss, just to be on the safe side. If we are doing more aggressive weight loss using the weight management diets, the rate can be faster. So I aim for about one to 2% of the body weight loss per week. One to 2% per week on the weight loss diet, because we know that those are more nutrient dense. Right, right. Okay. And I'm glad that you brought up how much weight to lose per week, because that was going to be my next question is how do we know if our recommendation is working? How do you monitor these patients? Yeah. So monitoring is the, the key. It is the most important thing that, that you do because it's hard to know how much caloric restriction is going to cause ideal weight loss rate because we just don't know. A lot of times we don't know the current caloric intake that's maintaining that heavy weight or over obese weight because the diet history is not complete because there are multiple cats in the household that could be stealing and, and you know, giving extra calories to this overweight cat, or there could be children dropping human food items on the floor and cats eating those, or, you know, that grandpa and grandma that want to sneak little treats here and there. So we just don't know a lot of times if we're getting that accurate diet history. So a lot of times it's the gold standard to base our ideal caloric intake for the weight loss on the the current caloric intake, but it's not always easy to get that. There are also equations to help find out what would be the appropriate caloric intake for weight loss. But, you know, those equations are not for everybody. Some cats have higher metabolic rate, some have lower metabolic rate. It can be about 50%. So this is why you need to monitor every one to two weeks, if possible, making sure that the weight loss is happening, first of all, and weight gains not happening and making sure that the weight loss rate is at an ideal rate and not too fast or not too slow. I am glad that you said that we don't always have the complete diet history because that is something that always stresses me out when I hear you get a diet history. I never feel like it's complete. I'm always like there's something else there that that I'm not aware of that probably not because the owner's withholding information, but they might not be aware of either because they're doing it so automatically. It just doesn't even ping in their head. Or like you said, there's somebody else in the house who is also feeding this pet. It makes me think of of a patient I had who was very overweight and we put her on a weight loss diet and we did all the calculations and we were bringing her and reweighing and the owner was like, this is all that she's eating and she was gaining weight. And I remember I called the company and I said, help me out. What's going on? They said, it is physically impossible for her to gain weight at this calorie level. And I think we did end up identifying somebody else in the house that was maybe sneaking some treats. Yeah, that's very, very common. And also, you know, we can't forget about, you know, supplements, the calories brought in by supplements, dental chews, and also pilling treats. Those are really, you know, easily forgotten Oh gosh. Yeah. I didn't even think about like pill pockets and pill wrap and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, if we're bringing these guys back, we're monitoring them so that we can find whoever is, is sneaking treats or, you know, whatever part of the diet history we missed and we can make the appropriate adjustments. So our, our patient can lose weight, get to this appropriate body condition, hopefully live 1.8 years longer 
I mean, that's a big job, but it sounds like this can really be a team sport. So can you talk about how you get your team involved in monitoring these patients? Yeah, I think it's a good idea to really utilize your receptionists and technicians. Because once we teach your support staff, it doesn't need a lot of sort of high medical knowledge involved, right? Because it's all numbers. You look at the weight, you look at how much percent of the weight loss has been done. And then you just get that diet history every time the patient comes back to make sure that the total calories are not, you know, going over what we recommended. Perfect. Perfect. I think probably the biggest thing there is teaching them how to use a body condition score, because as we've established here, I'm probably not great at using the body condition score chart. <laughs> so we could all use a little refresher. Yeah, there are a lot of sort of references online. There are different pictures. So that that's something I, I do like everybody to you know look at those body condition score charts again, because you may think you know it, in your head, but when you look at it again and read all the descriptions, uh, you may find out something that you didn't know. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Okada, once again, a fantastic nutrition conversation. Like I said, I always feel like I take so much away from all the talks that we do on nutrition. So thank you so much for, for joining me. Are there any final thoughts you want to share with everyone? No, you know, I think um, it, this is really something that really will help all our pets or our, our patients extending, you know, there's no nothing in veterinary medicine that can actually extend prolonged lifespan, right? We can extend life by treating a disease, but this is something that we can prevent the disease and also prolong healthy lifespan. So I, I really would encourage everybody to be on board. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for joining me. This has been a great talk. Thank you so much. It was great as well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Okada, for coming on the podcast. I feel like you've given us some great information to consider when it comes to keeping our pets at a healthy body condition score. I also want to say a big thank you to Hills for making this podcast possible, and thanks to all of you for joining us. For more episodes like this, click on the Education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.